أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم المصطفى محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين لا سيما بقية الله في الأراضين أجل الله تعالى فرجه الشريف وجعلنا من أعوانه وأنصاره After the state of sadness the wayfarer reaches the state of fear or خوف You remember we told that there is a difference between sadness and fear. Sadness normally relates to the past. Normally, not always. And fear relates to the future. Sadness is about something unpleasant that has happened. Fear is about something unpleasant which is going to happen or you think it may happen and you have the fear normally we first feel sadness because as we said we feel that we have lost lots of opportunities we have done lots of damages to ourselves we have done operation to ourselves ربنا إننا ظلمنا أنفسنا. We have been unjust to ourselves. And we also see that unfortunately there are people who are not committed. We see that there has been, you know, many, many, there have been many, many wrong things around. So there are many reasons to make us sad. After that, the person finds chance to think about future and feels that there are certain things in future that cause concern great concern one very important thing is punishment allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's punishment and allah's punishment is not a joke is very serious we cannot tolerate difficult things in this dunya how can we tolerate allah's punishment when aqil you know all the story of aqil he asked imam ali salam to give him some money something to help and aqil was a needy person aqil was not a rich person you know He was a needy person and had lots of children. Uh, but still, Imam didn't want to give him any preference. Imam wanted to treat him like other Muslims. So Imam Ali salam heated that piece of iron, metal, and took it uh, very near to Aqil, or said Aqil, you know, to take it. And Aqil felt the heat. And started crying and shouting. And Imam said, أَتَئِنُّ مِنْ حَدِيدَةٍ أَحْمَاهَا إِنْسَانُهَا لِلَّعِبِهِ 
do you cry because of a piece of iron that its owner just for joking for playing has made it very hot do you complain from the heat and you expect me to tolerate the blame of a blaze of uh, fire so it's very difficult the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sad point is that there is no death because you know when the people are very much suffering they say okay if we die we get rid of you know this suffering but in akhirah there is no way to die Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَنَادَوْ يَا مَالِكِ لِيَغْضَ عَلَيْنَا رَبُّكِ They tell the angel who is in charge of Jahannam لِيَغْضَ عَلَيْنَا رَبُّكِ Your Lord must let us go, must let us disappear. قَالَ إِنَّكُمْ مَا كِثُونَ So now you must stay. There is no chance to go. And Quran elsewhere says لَا يَمُوتُ فِيهَا وَلَا يَحْيَا is a state, neither is life nor death. So it's very difficult, the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But because we don't know that punishment, so we think that it's, you know, something, you know, you can play around. But it's not something. So even people like Imam Ali, like Imam Sajjad in Dua'ya Abu Hamza. You see, they are very worried about this. In Surat Khal'ata, uh, Surat Al-Dahr, Surat Al-Insan, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about Ahlul Bayt, then he says that these people are the people who have the fear. إِنَّا نَخَافُ مِنْ رَبِّنَا يَوْمًا عَبُوسًا قَمْطَرِيرًا Unlike some Sufis, who say that human beings can reach a state in which they have no longer fear of punishment, but we feel that this is not true. Because Allah says that even the closest people to Him, still they have this fear. Of course, when they look at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His mercy, there is no fear. But when they look at themselves, there is fear. So, this is very important cause of concern, which causes fear. And we must be very serious about this. The second cause of fear is the fear of being deprived from getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fear of being blocked in our journey towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Ali in Du'ai Kumail says, Habni sabartu ala harrenarik. Suppose that I can tolerate the heat of your fire. Fakaifa asbiru ala firaqik. 
How can I be tolerant of being far from you? So there is a fear that we may not be able to be close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is even greater than fear of punishment. For someone like Imam Ali, someone who is really interested in and determined to get close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is very frightening. You know, suppose that one day someone comes to you. Just one example. Someone, a RF, a spiritual person, who doesn't say anything, you know, in vain. Tells you that I have a message for you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. From tomorrow, you must not say prayer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, I don't want your prayer. You must switch off. From tomorrow, you cannot call me. You cannot mention my name. What a disaster would be. That you are not allowed to mention Allah's name. So, if we see, especially in Akhirah, that there are people who have the pleasure of meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, liqa'ullah, and then we are pushed back. Say, no, you must not go. You are not allowed to go. You have not been true Muslim, true followers of Islam. So it's very difficult, causing lots of fear. You have heard that a group of people went to Mash, uh, to Tus, to Marv, you know, to visit Imam Raza alayhi salam. And they knocked the door and they said, we are a group of Shia, we want to visit our Imam. Imam didn't accept them. They went the second day and said, we, want, we are Shia, we want to see our Imam. Imam didn't accept. All the people were seeing Imam, you know, but these people were not. For 17 times, 17 times, Imam refused to give them permission. In the 18th time, they said, we are a group of people who love Imam. And we want to meet Imam. Imam said, tell them, come. So when they went in, they, you know, politely complained that, why you have kept us, you know, for 17 days, you know, outside. Why you didn't let us in? Imam said, because you made a big claim. You said we are Shia. But I don't see any sign of being Shia in you. Your acts, your behavior, your akhlaq is not like Shia. How can I accept someone who is telling lies? Okay, today you said we love you. Okay, this is true. This is why I let you in. This is why Quran says, يَوْمَ يَنْفَعُ الصَّادِقِينَ سَدْغُهُمْ The only thing that can be useful in Akhira is sadq, is truth. If 
we are not truthful, there is no chance to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no chance to meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We must bring, we must present, we must offer our truthfulness. Only truthfulness. So, Mu'min has always this fear. Am I right in my claims? Am I right in saying that I love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I love Prophet. There must be some signs for that. Otherwise, everyone could claim. There must be a sign for that. So, this is the second cause of fear. And some people have said, uh, like Khaja uh, Abdullah Ansari in Manazil al-Sa'irin, he says that this is the fear of the elite. The fear from punishment, from hell, is for the public. But those who are the elite, those who have made some you know, efforts and have reached somewhere, they have the fear of being deprived from meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there is yet another fear. And that fear is somehow different in nature. This is what we call it haiba or khashya. So, oh, you have this uh, sort of feeling it's not because you have fear of punishment or because you have fear of being deprived from Allah's you know, closeness it is because you understand the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when you meet a very great person you are not frightened of him you know that he's a very nice person. He's not going to harm you or hurt you. But still, you feel that you are very humble in front of him. Sometimes you cannot talk. If, for example, they say, okay, now you can go and see, for example, Imam Zaman alayhi salam. You may not be able to speak in front of Imam Zaman alayhi salam. The greatness of the personality of Imam makes you feel very weak. Sometimes even if you don't know that there is a great man, still it has some effect. You have heard the story of Imam Hassan Mujtaba alayhi salam. Whenever Imam Hassan was in the mosque, he was listening to the sayings of the Prophet and then going home and narrating for Lady Fatima to Zahra. Salamullah. And then Lady Fatima was telling Imam Ali that today my father said this and that. And Imam Ali was very surprised how you know exactly all the details in such a quick you know, time. And Lady said that Hassan is telling me all these things. So once they decided that Imam Ali hides behind the curtain and listens to Imam Hassan narrating to Lady 
Father. So that day Imam Hassan went and started telling what the Prophet said, but he felt he cannot speak well. So he told Mom, I think a great man is seeing me. I cannot speak. Then Imam Ali came out of the curtain and kissed Imam Hassan. So, when there is a great personality, you feel very, you know, weak. You cannot maybe speak. You can, sometimes you don't know what to do. You may even do some mistakes. You want, for example, you want to offer tea. You may pour the tea and, you know, drop the glass or whatever. This is not because you have fear of being hurt or being punished or whatsoever. This is because of the understanding of greatness. When you go, especially in the afternoon, when the sun is going to set, you go near sea, near ocean. And you look at the greatness of the ocean. There is no end to it. As far as you can see, there is water. So you feel very humbled. There's a sort of feeling in your heart that this is called khashya or haiba. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Yasin, have you noticed this point? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَنْ خَشِيَ الرَّحْمَانَ بِالْغَيْبِ فَبَشِّرْهُ بِمَغْفِرَةِ The one who has khashya of Rahman, the most compassionate. What is the relation between fear and Rahman? It doesn't say, مَنْ خَشِيَ الْقَحَّارِ مَنْ خَشِيَ الْجَبَّارِ مَنْ خَشِيَ الرَّحْمَانِ Because khashya is this state. You have such a feeling that Allah is so great, so compassionate, that you just don't know what to say. Just don't know what to tell. And the more your knowledge is, the more khashya you have of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Indeed, the Quran says, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءِ Sometimes people recite this ayah mistakenly. They say, إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهُ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَةِ Which makes completely different. It means that Allah has fear of ulama. But this is not the meaning. إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَاءُ Means the only people who have this khashya from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the learned people. Ulama doesn't necessarily mean mujtahid. Means those who know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who know faith. Because knowledge is not a matter of learning and teaching necessarily. Although it needs learning, it needs a study. But what is important is that you must have this knowledge in your heart. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, رُبَّ عَالِمٍ قَدْ قَتَلَهُ جَحْلُهُ وَعِلْمُهُ مَعَهُ لَا يَنْفَعُهُ 
There are many people who have lots of knowledge. Their brain is like a library. Lots of books. But they die because of ignorance. رُبَّ عَالَمٍ قَدْ قَتَلَهُ جَهْلُهُ وَإِلْمُهُ مَعَهُ لَا يَنْفَعُهُ He has knowledge, but this knowledge is not helping him. إِنَّمَا يَخْشَ اللَّهَ مِنْ عِبَادِهِ الْعُلَمَانِ The people who have knowledge and they practice according to their knowledge, they have piety and knowledge, they have wisdom and knowledge, these are the people who have great sense of khashya. They are very humbled in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There are many verses of the Quran, many hadith, many phrases in du'as and supplications about this concept of khawf. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Sajda number 16 and 17 says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم تتجافى جنوبهم عن المضاجع يدعون ربهم خوفا وطمعا ومما رزقناهم ينفقون These people who do tahajjud who worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the night, Allah loves them a lot. You know, Allah very beautifully talks about them. says, these are the people that when all other people are sleeping, they leave their bed. And they start calling their Lord, خوفاً وطمعاً From one aspect, they have fear. From another aspect, they have lots of hope. And this is very important. There must be a balance in your heart between fear and hope. If you are too fearful, you don't have hope, this is very damaging. It's a great sin to feel despaired. To say that Allah will not forgive me. There is no chance to be forgiven. There is no chance for salvation for me. Indeed, this is more sinful act than, greater sinful act than those sins themselves. Al-Ya'asu min rawhallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La ta'yasu min rawhallah. You must never feel that there is no chance for me. And on the other hand, if you are too hopeful, you don't have any fear. This is also bad. This is al-amnumen makrillah. To feel safe, you say, Allah is not going to do anything with me. I am his cousin, for example. <laughs> he is not going to do anything. Not, it's not the case. Uh, could you come a bit forward? Allah. <laughs> Thank you. 
There must be a balance. Imam Ali salam has very wise saying here, very beautiful. I always remember this and I hope to follow this. Imam says, Al-Faqih, Kullu Al-Faqih. If you want to know who is great Faqih, who is great knowledgeable person, who knows Islam well, you must see how does he preach. Imam says, he must not make people too frightened and too helpful. He must make a balance. If you see, there is someone who always gives the people courage and hope, and in the end, he ends up with making people have no fear about punishment. Then people start indulging their lives. They don't, you know, practice. This is not faqih. If someone always talks about Jahannam, and people, you know, start having bad dreams, and they feel that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no mercy, this is not again a faqih. Faqih must make a, a strike a balance, gives good dosage of hope and good dosage of fear. Of course, when it comes to individuals, it may be different. Sometimes you come across some, with someone that he is very, you know, hopeless, he is very frightened. So you give him something to make him, you know, hopeful. Sometimes someone is too hopeful you reduce his hope, you know. But in general, the policy must be balance. There must be a balance between this. There is a beautiful hadith from Ibn Abi Umair from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam. He doesn't mention all the people in between him and Imam, but you know, Ibn Abi Umair is one of the people that normally our ulama accept his marasil. Means hurried out hadith. Sometimes he doesn't mention from whom he has taken this. Who has said this is said by Imam. But he was so great that people say he never has narrated something which was not reliable. Anyway, he narrates from Imam Sadiq salam in, in an authentic hadith. And Imam says... Kana Abi Yaqul. My father used to say, Laisa men abden mu'minen illa wa fi qalbihi nuran. There is no faithful mu'min except there are two lights in his heart. Nuru khifa wa nuru raja. A light of fear and a light of hope. Green and red light maybe. Nuru Raja is green. And Nuru Khifa. If you weigh them, if you compare them, Neither this is superior to the other, nor the other is superior to this. They are exactly in the same way. They are balanced. And the beautiful thing here is, for those of you who are familiar with Arabic, Imam says, Imam 
امام در لووزن هازا لم یزد علا ذاک و لووزن ذاک لم یزد علا هازا because normally in this sort of conversation we must say if you compare this to that what imam says if you compare this to this why? because those must be at the same distance you see how imam is beautifully saying that they are so equal in their weight that imam says haza wa haza this and this it's a very beautiful way of explaining this idea so by no way you find any of them overweighing the other and undershadowing the other they must be equal there is another hadith لا يكون المؤمن مؤمنا حتى يكون خائفا راجيا no one can be considered as a real mu'min unless he has fear and hope ولا يكون خائفا راجيا حتى يكون عاملا لما يخاف ويردو and no one is considered as a person who has fear and hope, except the one who acts because of this hope and fear. If I say, I have lots of fear and hope, but I do nothing. So what is the value of this fear and hope? These are two sorts of power, two sorts of engines to make us run in a balanced way, like a plane. You know, big planes, they must have two engines. One on this side, right side, one on the left side. With these two engines, the plane can have a balanced movement. But if you say, I have very strong engines, but I will never switch it on. So what is the point? Imam says, no one has khawf and raja except when he acts. And this is a good criterion, good sign. Whenever you are in a state, whether it is hosn or khawf or raja, if the result is that you work harder, you strive more, this is a good sign. If you are in a state and the result is that you are frustrated and you don't work, this is bad sign. If I say, I am very sad, and my sadness causes me not to do any ibadah, not to work. So this is illness. But if my sadness causes me to work harder, this is good. If my fear works, uh, makes me work more, this is good. But if I am so fearful that I don't do anything, there is no benefit. Or I, have, I am so hopeful that say, oh, well, I, I am definitely forgiven. I love Imam Hussein, alayhi salam, and Imam Hussein, you know, will save me, will protect me. This is not good. Your hope must make you work harder. What did Imam Ali say? لا تكن ممن يرجو الآخرة بغير العمل. وَيُرَجَّ تَوْبَةَ بِطُولِ الْعَمَلِ 
Do not be like those people who have hope for Akhirah without doing anything. This is not a wise type of hope. This is very unwise to have hope and then doing nothing. It's like someone who doesn't study and says, I have hope to get four A's or five A's in my A-level study. If you have hope, you must work. Without working, without studying, you cannot have hope. And hope must be together with hope. There is a story about Satan that I haven't seen myself. But I have heard from one of ulama. You know, Satan was a jinn. He was not an angel. But he was always with angels. Because he had worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for thousands of years. For 6,000 years he worshipped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Imam Ali says, La yudra amin sanat dunya aw sanat jannah. Something like this. Maybe first says sanat akhirah, sanat dunya. Anyway, Imam says, it's not known whether these were years of this dunya or years of akhirah. Because years of akhirah are longer. Every day in akhirah is 1,000 years of this dunya. One day is 1,000 years of here. And Imam Ali says, he worshipped Allah for 6,000 years. It's not known. Whether it was this worldly years or akhirah years. So he worshipped a lot. So he was with angels. And this is why when angels were tested, or actually asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maybe it was not a test because they all were committed, you know, to do that. But Satan, you know, failed. Before the actual time of prostrating before Adam alayhi salam, the angels knew that there will be a very fatal situation. And one person is going to fail. Say so they all had fear. Maybe I am the one who is going to fail. So they went, some of them went to Iblis. Could you please pray for us? We are very frightened. And Satan said, yes, I will pray for you and make sure there will be no problem. I am praying for you. And he had no fear. So the result was that all those who had fear, they were all saved. And the one who had no fear was Iblis who failed. If I say, Everything is okay with me. I have no problem. My file is very clear. Every time you want, you know, you can check my file. Then there is danger. With Allah, you cannot speak like this. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you must be very careful. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala treats you in the way that you say. You say, I don't need to be forgiven. Allah say, okay. I leave aside my forgiveness and treat you exactly as you deserve. 
If you say, I am needy, Allah says, okay, I help you. I treat you exactly in the way that you expect me. You ask me. If you say that I will never be forgiven, make sure that you will never be forgiven. If you say that I am very guilty and I have hope that despite all my problems, my weaknesses, Allah will forgive me. Inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you. So, the real fear and the real hope must make you move, make you work. I end with a historical story narrated in Biharul Anwar. You may have heard this story. It is about a person called Hamid ibn Qahtabe. And the one who narrates this is Ubaidullah al-Bazaz al-Nisaburi from Nishabur. He was, you know, buying and selling clothes. Bazaz. He says, I had a business with Ubaidullah, a sort of, you know, deal. So I went to see him and it was in the month of Ramadan. And he said he made an appointment and after Salat al-Zuhr I went to see him. He was the governor. So he says the house was very big house, very beautiful and there were, you know, some rivers flowing inside the house. I said salam to him and sat in front of him. They brought some, you know, water and some bowls to wash my hand. I washed my hand. Then they brought food. He says, when I saw the f- food, I forgot that I am fasting. In such a house... Definitely you forget, you know. In the house of Mu'minin, you remember. But when you go to the house of these people, you forget that you are fast. So he said, I started eating the lunch. Then I realized. So I stopped eating. He told me, why did you stop he said, I remember that I am fasting and I have no excuse. Maybe you have some excuse that you are not fasting. Maybe you are ill or whatsoever, but I have no excuse. So I shouldn't eat. So the governor said, I have also no problem, no illness. I am very healthy. But then he started crying and his eyes became full of tears. When he finished his lunch, he said his story and said, this is why I don't fast. He said, once Harun al-Rashid, when he was in Tus, in the same city that he was governor, this man, called me. So, 
He said his servant, the servant of Harun al-Rashid, came to me in the night and said, Khalif, Khalifa wants to see you. So I went there, Harun al-Rashid was there, and it was dark. There was a candle, and there was a sword. Harun al-Rashid told me, Kayfa ta'atuka l'amir al-mu'minin? How obedient you are to Amir al-Mu'minin, meaning himself. Because these people are all calling themselves Amir al-Mu'minin. And still, you know, uh, in many, you know, Muslim countries, they call whoever is there Amir al-Mu'minin. But we believe that only Imam Ali is Amir al-Mu'minin. And Imams didn't allow Shia. To call them Amir al-Mu'minin. They said this is exclusive title for Imam Ali salam. So even Imam Hassan, Imam Hussein, none of them were called Amir. Even Imam Mahdi will not be called Amir al-Mu'minin. This is exclusive title. But Harun meant himself. He said, Amir al-Mu'minin. How obedient you are for your Master of believers. He said, I quickly said, My life and my money is for Amir, are for Amir. Whenever you want, without any hesitation, I give you my life and my money. So he said, when I said this, he just, you know, uh, Moved his head and said, go. So I went home. Before having some rest, having some tea. The months of Ramadan, you know, you like to have tea. So he said, again the servant of Harun Rashid came and said, Harun Rashid wants you. So he said, I was very frightened. So I went to Harun Rashid and again he said, Said this time I said My life, my money, my children, my wife, my family, all may be ransom of Amir al Mumini. So Harun Rashid looked at me and then he just smiled this time. Last time he didn't smile. This time he smiled, said, go away. So I went back before having any chance to have some rest. Then again I was called. So I said, this man is not going to leave me, you know. So this time I went and he said, كَيْفَ تَعَعَتُكَ لَأَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ I said, My money, my life, my children, my family, and my faith. This time, Harun Rashid was happy. So, he said, okay, take this sword. I told you there was a sword. Take this sword and... Go and what this person, this servant, tells you do. So he said, 
we went to a house which was closed. The door was closed. He opened the door. We went inside. And there were some rooms and a well inside the heart, the house. He said he opened one of the rooms and there were 20 people in that room. And with, you know, long hairs and beards. And they were very old. And some of them were young, but they were in chain. So he said, Amir al-Mu'minin asked you to kill these people. And they were all Alabiyun from the progeny of Ali and Fatima. So he said he was bringing them one by one. And I was slaughtering them and putting their body in the well. So I killed 20 of them to please Amir al-Mu'min. Then he opened the other room. There were 20, again, Alavis. We killed them one by one. Then the third room, I killed 19 of them. The last one was an old man who said, Tabban laka ya mashum. O wicked, may you be destroyed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What excuse you have on the day of judgment when you come to our grandfather, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? While you have killed 60, because this was the 60th, 60 members of the family of Ali and Fatima. What would be your excuse? So he said, فَرْتَعَشَتْ يَدِي وَرْتَعَشَتْ فَرَائِسِي My hands and my, uh, you know, the joints, joints of body, they all started shaking, full of fear. So, as soon as these servants saw that I am frightened, he looked at me with anger. So, I killed also this man. So he said, after doing all this, what is the benefit of fasting and saying prayer? So this is why, although I am healthy, I don't fast. What would be the benefit of fasting? And he said, definitely, I am in hell forever. Okay, this crime is a very severe crime. Killing 60 innocent people from the progeny of the Prophet. By no, nothing you know, can measure how severe is this. But still, this feeling of despair is worse. If this man sincerely had repented, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would have forgiven him. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, this is ayah of Quran, surah Quran, number 68 to 70. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah talks about the people who don't 
consider any partner for Allah who don't kill innocent people, who don't commit adultery or fornication. And he says that whoever does these things will be uh, in heaven forever. Okay? But then he says, Ella, Mantab, even a mushrik, if he repents, he will be forgiven. Yes, if someone dies with shirk, so nothing can be done for him. But if a mushrik repents, if a murderer repents, if someone who has committed fornication repents, and it starts doing good things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive. He himself says, Illa man taba wa amana wa amila salah. Not only Allah forgives him. Fa'ulaika yubaddilullahu sayyatihim hasanat. Allah makes their sins good deeds. Transforms. He has... Killed an innocent person. But if he really regrets. And part of this regret may be sometimes to present himself to the, you know, judge and say that, you know, I, I must, you know, give something. Or anyway, DA or whatsoever. But if he really regrets, whatever the requirements are. Allah says not only he will not be punished. But this act of murder would be transformed into a good act. Like reviving one person. Giving life to a person. Suppose a person is dying out of test. And you save his life. This would be changed into that hasane. Hasanat. And Allah has always been like this. Forgiving and merciful. So even if our crimes are great, we shouldn't feel despaired. We shouldn't say there is no chance for us. The only time that these people can feel that they have no hope, is when they have no determination to repent. Because such people normally, they don't get determination to repent. But if they really repent, definitely Allah will forgive them. There is no exception. If someone repents, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala definitely will accept, and maybe even He transforms you may ask me, Molana, we know that the time is over, but why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala transformed the bad deeds into good deeds? How is it possible? Then I don't know whether to answer because there is no time or nothing. Just I say quickly that this person, because of the great sins that he has done, he is so humbled. And he feels so wicked that causes more mercy. 
Because the whole business, if you remember, we had last year this discussion in getting closer to Allah, is spiritual poverty, is humbleness, is to feel that you are nothing. Sometimes these people have more awareness of this nothingness than mu'minin. Because this man, there is nothing to make him, you know, admiring himself, making him proud of himself. So the more crimes that he has done, make him more humble. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give him more. But this does not mean that we must, you know, do some sins and say, okay, when we repent, our reward will be more. You know, once shaitan wanted to deceive a mu'min, an abed. So he started praying and praying and praying, prayer after prayer, for hours. This abed said, he is better than me. Because if I say 100 rakah, I become tired. But this man is praying constantly. So ask that person, how did you become so much devoted to worship? He said, I committed fornication or some, you know, sort of sin. And then I, when I repented, Allah gave me this. So made this abet to commit some sin. Because he was not wise, there was no intelligence. There was no tafakkur. So this abet, you know, went and did some crime and then that took him to other crimes. And in the end, he was going to be executed. And the Satan went to him and said, I can help you. He said, how? He said, you must prostrate before me. Then I will save you. So as soon as he showed his obedience to Shaitan, he was executed. Shaitan wasn't to help him. wanted to take away his face. So we shouldn't be deceived by shaitan. But if someone really regrets after all the sins, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is forgiving and merciful.